Good morning, everyone. Friends, in our first reading, um, we see from the book of Joshua, uh, the Israelites uh, are free. Um, they were in captive. They were slaves to Egypt. And uh, they are now free, and they have been in the desert, and now they're coming upon the promised land. And in this, we see, uh, as Joshua tells us, that God holds nothing against them, because remember, they really, they got really bad attitudes when they were in the desert. And he removed not only the slavery to the Egyptians, but he's wiped away the humiliation of their sin while in the desert, and um, he's reconciled God has reconciled with them. And um, we see the joy that happens because of it. And our second reading um, from Corinthians, Paul is telling us it is Christ himself through his sacrifice. Uh, he came into this world uh, to reconcile the relationship of humans with his Father. And he achieves this through his sacrifice. And Christ came, and he was a minister of this reconciliation. And this is his church. I am his priest. You are his disciples. He is our leader. And if our leader has a ministry of reconciliation and peace, then so must his church, so must his ministers, so must his disciples be. So we must be, go about being this. And um, my friends, this parable... Um, this parable is huge, and um, they have symposiums on it. Uh, there were uh, a week-long series uh, that we could go to, and I'm always looking at how do I make the parable very much alive today, keeping it with integrity, its context, and, but making it alive for you today. And uh, certainly two lessons from the parable, because uh, there's many, is about God's care and love and mercy for everyone. And the other thing uh, that comes out from this is that everyone, all people, must respond to God's invitation. Um, there, you have to. There, you must respond. And uh, certainly mercy is running through all the readings. And um, my friends, uh, one of the things our professors taught us, make sure that your people understand in the parable who the characters represent. So, um, the Father, this should be pretty clear to you, it is God. And in this, we see exampled in the parable of the Father of God's mercy and love towards sinners, repentant sinners. And um, the banquet that the Father puts on, that is symbolic of heaven. So it's the invitation to heaven, if you will. The younger son, remember he's with his father, but he leaves. The younger son represents the sinner who left and came back. So in Christian understanding, it is the Christian who has left the church and is returning. The elder son is the Christian who stays in the church and does everything is being asked but then develops a really bad attitude. <laughs> really bad attitude. And my friends, uh, so now we have the characters, we understand, 
we know, what did Jesus write this? Jesus, we're told right from the beginning, the Pharisees and scribes have been traveling with Jesus. They don't like what he says. They're the ones who have stayed with the church and they followed the rules. They, rules, 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 rules. And Jesus said, you have a bad attitude. So I'm going to direct this parable to you. And so my friends, uh, the importance of all three persons in the parable, the characters, uh, each of them have something to teach us. Each of them speak to us in different but very powerful ways. First, we have the son who the parable is named after, the, the younger son. And uh, uh, it's called prodigal, and depending if it's a noun or, uh, noun or adjective, it means to be wasteful or uh, to squander or, if you will, to throw something away. And uh, so the son squanders everything the father has given him. And we are told the son goes off to a distant country. In Jesus' parable, he's not talking about another city. He's talking about a way of life. So distant country means the person's way of life, the quality, how they live, their heart. So not another city, the way of life. And there are some Christians that have known distant country. They have lived it for a long time. They left the church behind and the, the gospels of Jesus Christ, and they went on their own way and did their own thing. And my friends, here's the problem with that. Such people are lured to a place where sin is made to be appealing. And uh, sin isn't appealing for very long, they will find out. And if you will, to be just a little bit tongue-in-cheek, sin is a fun until the person becomes enslaved to it. And if you will, becomes addicted. And uh, I can point out some addictions, such as alcohol. It harms the person who is in the thralls of it, but it also affects and harms their family members too. And when there's infidelity in marriage, not only does the couple suffer, but all the family members suffer also from this. Sin is always a selfish, arrogant thing, and its deception distorts one's life and leaves them isolated from God and from others. This is the distant country that many Christians have come to know. The prodigal son, though, we're told, has a moment of recon reconciling. He comes to his senses. And he says, I have sinned. I have sinned. In that moment, he no longer blames his father for this or for that. He no longer blames society, did this and did that to me. He no longer blames his employer, did this and did that to me. When he no longer blames his genetic makeup, it was because my grandma was this way, and it's in my genes. Get it? Or the birth order. If I was first, I wouldn't be this middle child. <laughs> the younger son says, I have sinned. He takes responsibility for everything. And that is a key moment for the younger son because now his life will change. His future will be different. 
How often one remains trapped in destructive, sinful patterns of living, ready to blame anyone and anything. And my friends, I'll go through that list. I blame my parents for the way I sin. I blame my family. I blame Father Mark. Oh, I get that a lot. I'm never coming back to the church because you, priest, you, ooh, you, which are long homilies. <laughs> they blame the church. They blame society. They blame the scandals of the day. Well, if that scandal hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been such a big sinner. But my friends, it is grace when the person is able to say and mean, I have sinned. I take responsibility. It is a sign of moral awakening and spiritual maturity. And my friends, the path to the banquet, in other words, the path to heaven of that son, the younger one lies in the importance of being able to say, I have sinned. Now, my brother, there's another uh, person, the elder son, and there's the path that he takes. And uh, maybe it's when the person feels that people who repent, the sinner who has changed their ways, should not just be able to slide right back into the church as if nothing ever happened. They should suffer. They should be humiliated. They should have to pay for their sins. But my friends, the parable and all of the Gospels of Jesus Christ speak differently than that. And here's the problem. This is what the Pharisees are saying. The Pharisees and scribes are saying, you eat with those people, and they are not welcome in God's kingdom. And Jesus is setting them straight about this. And my friends, when someone has true contrition and true desire to change and they work towards it, it is enough. Because the second reading talks to us about that. Jesus Christ, by his paschal sacrifice, by his sacrifice, by his wounds, by his suffering, he came and he healed the division between the Father and humanity. Because of Jesus Christ, we are not only able to come home it's more than that. As example by the younger son, the father restores him back to his position. He is son, and he is dressed like son with the fine robes and the everything. So it's not just coming back. They don't get just to hang on the outside of the gates of heaven. They get to come right into the banquet hall. And that makes some Christians really angry. True, the prodigal son, the younger son, has much to do to repair and rebuild the damage that his sins has called. But, my friends, there are always decisions have consequences. But consequences are not the same as punishment. Sometimes consequences feel like punishment, but they're different from each other. So I acknowledge a fact. There are consequences that happen when someone sins. But my friends, what this parable tells us is God is not harsh with repentant sinners. He takes joy. And in the Old Testament, it says, God does not delight in the death of sinners, but that they live and have a renewed life. Here's the other thing. The Father does not give the repentant sinner what they truly deserve for what they've done. 
Instead, the Father gives them what they need. What they need. And my friends, here's sometimes the issue with Christians who get upset by this. God's goodness to repentant sinners does not diminish how much he loves you. Because they think, well, you, you let that, that, that person back in. Look what they did to you. As if it diminishes his love, we see that with the elder son. The father says, everything I have is yours. Everything. Can you not be happy? Can you not be happy? Here's a truth that some Christians don't like. God is free to give his grace and mercy to anyone he chooses. At any time he chooses, whenever he chooses. God the Father says to both saint and repentant sinner, welcome, welcome home, welcome to the banquet. My friends, St. Paul, this reading would have been familiar if you heard on Ash Wednesday. It's the reading from Ash Wednesday. St. Paul says you are to be ambassadors of Christ. Christ was an ambassador for his father. That's our leader. And he came for reconciliation and to help. So that means the church and you and I are to help the repentant sinner. We are to support them like a sibling. When we encounter people who realize they have done wrong and truly have contrition in their heart and of their own volition seek to offer restitution, what the repentant sinner does not need is recriminations and self-righteous attitudes. They need assistance. They need us to help them to walk in holiness, to walk the path of Jesus Christ so that they can enter into the kingdom. This is one of the lessons of the older brother to us. Repentant sinners don't need our resentment. They need our help. To help them to stay in that rediscovered, vibrant faith they need our help and encouragement in their decisions to stay with the Lord. That is the way, the path to heaven for the elder brother. Finally, there is the father, willing to take the repentant son back, seeking reconciliation for the whole family. St. Paul refers to this as a ministry of reconciliation. Bridge building, he would call it later. My friends, we have many, many people in our time who are experts at polarization and divisiveness, and they've made a way of life of it. The work of bridge builders is to help divided people and communities, those who are conflicted, to walk in holiness. The way of the Father is for all Christians that path leads to heaven. This parable speaks to each of us today. Through the younger son, 
it speaks about the importance of coming to that point and saying, I have sinned, I have done wrong, and I seek to reconcile. The older brother, it speaks of the need of those who repent for our assistance, not our resentment. And through the image of the father, filled with joy that his son has returned, the one who was lost, it speaks to us about the very sacred and holy ministry of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of compassion, of love. My friends, Jesus pointed this parable at the Pharisees and scribes. The Father is full of mercy and rich in compassion when we come before him. So we come before him that way. The response of the youngest son, a sinner who repents, that is the response to repent, to have conversion. The elder son is to not have that bad attitude. And what it is saying is just because you park yourself in this pew does not mean you will have salvation. Something more is required of your heart, to have the heart of the Father. So each of the persons in the parable has much to speak to us, meaning to learn to love and to be filled with compassion, to admit our wrongs, and then to change with his grace, without his grace. And that's the thing. The Father extends his grace to everyone. And my friends, one final note about this parable. This is only in Luke's gospel. And the parable is written, Jesus always would speak about the Gentiles. In this case, the Gentiles are only referred to because they were the ones who had the pigs. Remember, the son <laughs> takes care of the pigs. Uh, but this parable was directed to the very people who were followers of the Father, the Jewish people. So in today, this parable is directed to you and I who are his, the Christian followers, those who have left and come back, and those who are staying but have a really terrible attitude about just about everything to change our ways. <laughs> so let us do that. Um, now, my friends, remember last week I spoke to you about um, we've been having um, some challenges with someone leaving uh, the Eucharist in the pew, and I don't know why, or, but one of the ways for me to deal with this is to get your cooperation to help me. And one of the ways we talked about last week, and if you weren't here, was when you come forward to receive the Eucharist, please consume the Eucharist immediately in front of the minister. Uh, don't walk away with the Eucharist in your hand. Uh, this will help me to uh, stop uh, this abuse that's happening for whatever the reason. Um, you know, if you need to move to the side, uh, just to move to the side, but consume the Eucharist where we can see uh, that it's happening. And remember, and my, and to my brothers and sisters in Christ that are Christians from other denominations, remember our church teaches that we may not share the Eucharist with you at this time. Uh, maybe one day, but not now. And then last week, um, one of the uh, Christians, uh, Baptist, uh, said, Father, what am I supposed to do? Uh, I said, here's the symbol. When you come forward, you, if you'd like, for a blessing, 
when you're not receiving the Eucharist, you just put your palms over your chest or your fingertips over your lips, and that'll be an indication to the minister you're not receiving the Eucharist in this time, but you'll receive a blessing in its place. And uh, we should be able to bring um, uh, uh, this abuse of the Eucharist under my control. So thank you in advance for helping. God loves you, in case I forgot.